0: Good morning. How you all doing? You look really good from up here. I can't see any blemishes whatsoever. Well, if you got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And we want to share a little bit from this text this morning. Powerful scripture. And I want to talk about what we sometimes call acts of God. And we live in a world where when something happens that we don't understand or we can't explain, we blame God for it. And um, most recently, we've been seeing on our TV screens the story of what's taking place in Fort McMurray and the tragedy there and how it's affecting so many lives. And I understand the insurance company just declared that it wasn't an act of God. I don't know how they figured that out, but there are some acts of God, and they come from his heart. And of course, in our Bible, in the Old Testament, we have many stories of acts of God, like Moses is trapped between the sea and Pharaoh's army, and on God's instruction, he stretches out his rod over the Red Sea, and the act of God parts the Red Sea, and... Many thousands, millions maybe, cross over onto dry land. We heard just a couple of weeks ago, as Pastor Ben was sharing about the Jordan River overflowing its banks, the priests stepped into that river, and an act of God stopped the river, and they crossed over on dry land. These are acts of God. There are many acts of God in the Old Testament. Things that God did that were impossible. And the text this morning that we're looking at in Ephesians 2, we're going to broad stroke the whole chapter, but we're going to take a look at a key text, chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. And it reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This chapter is an incredible chapter. I said to Pastor Ben, the problem with this chapter is not enough, a lack of material, it's too much material. How do we actually get through it? And I ran over time this morning, and so I'm going to try and kind of numb it down a little bit. And get it into the time frame. The real acts of God are in the realm of the impossible. They are for all eternity. When God does something, it's done. They are they cannot be annulled or improved upon or decreased. They can only be embraced or rejected. They have their start in eternity, they're implemented in time and space, and they reach their full purpose. In eternity, so I want to read the whole chapter so we get the scope of what we're going to talk about this morning, so beginning with verse one chapter two of ephesians, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we. All once lived. It's interesting that Paul includes himself at this point in the text. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith as we read earlier. I could preach for hours on this text but I've heard it said that the mind can only retain what deceit can endure. You obviously have heard that before because you've laughed very mildly about that. Or else you just didn't get the joke. I will not do this text justice today. I will broad stroke some highlights in it. And by way of remembrance and reminding, I'm not giving you something new this morning. I'm bringing to you a reminder of who we are in Christ Jesus. And as we work our way through this, it starts out in verse 1 with the dead. It starts out with the dead. Now, the dead have no capacity to help themselves. Dead is dead. Amen? We got that? Dead is dead. What I mean by that is that dead is dead. It's, it's really dead. It's nothing it can do. And you know, when you look at Fort McMurray, and you look at the pictures on the screen, you look at houses that once were that are dead. It's just all collapsed in on itself. It's all melted. It's destroyed. And while families may have pictures of what once was, it is no more. It's dead. So dead is dead. Now, in 1997, my mother, may she rest in peace, died of a brain aneurysm. She was gone in five minutes. We went home for the funeral. The family gathered around. And you know what we do in our culture? We dress dead up. I mean, we really dress it up. We put it in the favorite dress and, or suit, and we put makeup on, and my family were there, and we're all there together in the funeral home in the casket. You know, it's halfway open, and we're looking at this dead person, my mother. And the family is saying, oh, She looks so good. She looks so much like herself. And I want to scream, She's dead! It's absolutely horrendous. It's horrible. It's a bad thing. It's death. She's dead. That's not my mother. My mother was warm, embracing, loving, someone you could share your heart with. No judgment. She was the glue that held her family together. She was the only good thing among us. And she was dead. Now dead is dead. I want us to get that this morning, that dead is dead. I've never seen anybody put themselves into a casket unless they were just practicing. <laughs> Sometimes with my kids, I would lie on my bed, and I'd put my hands like this, and they'd come in and say, Dad, what are you doing? I say, I'm practicing. <laughs> Seriously. Because dead is Dead. It can do nothing for itself. It is just there. People put many things in caskets, but it is dead. They found King Tut's tomb 2,000 years later, and he had a whole army in his tomb with him. And it was all dead, because dead is dead. You can't do anything. And in our deadness, we were given over to the course Of this world. We were on a course we could not get off of. We were under the power, the scripture says, of an evil warlord, a prince and power of the air, the spirit of control, of fear and intimidation. We were given over to disobedience to all that is good, carrying out the desires that emptied us further and left us more vacant. The scripture says we were children of wrath meaning that we had lost our purpose and had become something entirely different than what was intended. And we were dead and we couldn't help ourselves. And there was no way out of our predicament. Even though we did all kinds of things and still people do all kinds of things. And I'll tell you what, Satan wants you empty. Empty and he will get you to look into your deadness and look into your brokenness and try to find some life in it and he will want you empty but your father god who's a good good father wants you filled and wants you filled to overflowing wants cliff newbury overflowing but how does the dead overflow I love this phrase. This is where I wish I had some color in me. I wish I had some African DNA. But God. But God. It says, but God. But God. Do you, do you, do you appreciate that this morning, that, that God needs nothing? He is all sufficient. But he puts a but in front of his name and says, but God. Wow. Wow. I was a black man, then I could say, but God. I said, but God. I tell you, brother, but God. Oh, a black man could preach for hours on that one line. But God being rich in mercy. Wow. God being rich in mercy. You see, he didn't have to be. He didn't need anything. He lacked nothing, but he's rich in mercy. Wow. Oh, I'm so glad he's rich in mercy. I would be in a lot of trouble today if he was not rich in mercy. And if that were not enough, it says, because of his great love. Do you know that God is love? God doesn't do love. He is love. God doesn't do holiness. He is holy. It's the isms of God. God is not just. God is not doing just. God is just. It's an ism. It's who he is. It's part of his nature. He's true to his nature. He cannot not Love, because of his great love. Yeah, that line alone, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in community together, because of his great love. Is that were not enough, that God is love. It says, with this love, he loved us. With this great love, he loved us, Pastor Ben. I think that this is probably the biggest challenge for the church of Jesus Christ is to understand this, that God loves you, period. Nothing before it, nothing after. God loves you. Boy, the wind is beginning to blow here. Thank you. God loves you. See, we got a lot of story going on from our deadness and our trespasses and sins that we have a hard time believing that God just simply loves us, period. Somebody said to me the other day, I think God is upset with me. I said, really? Why would he be upset with you? Well, I I said, imagine that. There's over 7 billion people on the planet. If God was upset with you, he would be upset all the time. He'd never have a happy moment. (laughs) God loves you. Period. That is life changing. Because that's what we were designed for. And that's what we were designed in purpose for. To give love. To receive love. The need will not go away in our lives. We can fill it with all kinds of stuff, but we just end up more empty and the need enlarged in us. I want to tell you this morning, you're already loved. You're already loved. He loves you. With which he loved us. And when did he do it? When we had it all figured out, when we had it all do when we were doing no even when we were dead. Now, dead is what? Dead. Dead. Whoa, we're getting this. Dead is dead. And when we were dead, when we were a mess, when we were in rebellion, when we were snubbing our nose, when we were trying to find our own way out of our mess, he loved us. That would be good. I'm married 35 years. It's so good to know my wife loves me. I've caused her a lot of pain. Life hasn't been easy for her. But she loves me. There's nothing like knowing you're loved. It's powerful. It is powerful. And when we have relationship that is healthy and strong, we know that we're loved and we're accepted. It brings freedom. And the Bible says in the song we just sang, Is that he's actually more intimate than lovers. Our relationship with him can be more intimate than we can have with each other. So if that were not enough that he loved us. Here's the next thing it says. He made us alive together with Christ. Now there's some overarching themes in the book of Ephesians. Number one. In there is with a view to. I think it's in there three times. God saved us with a view to. Another phrase that's in there, a statement that's in there, is the word together. It appears repeatedly throughout the book together, together, together. And another one that's in there is in the heavenlies, the heavenlies. So He's made us alive together with Christ. Colossians 2 12. Raised us with him in the powerful working of God. Colossians 2.13. You who were dead, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all, all our trespasses. Romans five six. For while we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, eight. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. So it's not the kind of love that comes and pats us on the back and says, Oh, you're okay, I'm okay, everything's going to be okay. It's love that actually gets involved in the mess that we are in. Not only gets involved, but takes it on. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. If you cross-reference some of the scriptures in Ephesians, you'll come out with this. When Jesus died, we died. When God raised him from the dead, he raised us with him. When he died, we died with him. When he raised us, he raised us with him. When he came back to life, he made us alive. This is an act of God. This is not something we did. It's not something we asked him to do. It's not something we coached him into. It's not something we begged him to do. Out of his great love, he loved us while we were dead. And he took it all on. Secondly, it says, and the word back, I just want to go back to that word, made us alive together with Christ. You know you're alive together with him. Not just alive in Christ, but alive together with Him. You're with Him. No matter what's coming your way, you're alive with Him. Together with Him. No matter where you're at in your life, no matter what your situation, no matter what your circumstances, you're alive together with Him. Wow. If we could just get a hold of that. Sometimes I sit on my bed and I look at myself in the mirror and I talk to this. And I tell this, you're alive together with him. Because there's things going on in this that wants to downplay that. Now, I know I'm preaching lofty this morning, but we need to get a little more lofty. These are the things that God has done. He's made us alive together with him. If that were not enough, it says... That he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. Here's that word. We're seated in heaven. We walk the earth as aliens, as sojourners. But our citizenship, our position, our seat is in heaven. Wow. Do you know this morning that regardless of what you think, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are seated together with him. I have a chair in my house. Matter of fact, I have two of them. Two different rooms A remote control. They remind me when I sit in them and I push that remote button and it goes all the way back. And I say, Jesus, it's all yours. All the problems, they're all yours. And he reminds me, you're seated with me. It's a reminder You're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You're in his chair. You're with him. When God raised Jesus and when he ascended, you ascended with him. Doesn't feel like it always. But that's the truth. That's the act of God. That's what God did for you and for me. He seated us in the heavenlies. The devil doesn't want you to believe that. I'm convinced that this is the stuff the church needs to get a hold of. I'm convinced that when we get this into the very core of who we are, we'll become unstoppable. You know, C.S. Lewis said it's those who have a view of heaven impact the world the most. And you're seated. Pastor Ben preached it in chapter 1. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And then chapter 2, I'm in. He seated us in the heavenlies. So if we can't have a view of heaven, who's going to get it? Those of us who are seated with him. Wow! I'm seated with him. Is life hard? Yeah. But I'm in heaven. I am in heaven. I think Tony Bennett sings that song. Seated in heaven. We don't walk according to the ways of this world. We're not going to be drawn back into the deadness again. There's no life in that. The enemy wants to pull us back. The enemy wants to draw on script that we have in our lives that we haven't allowed him to edit. We haven't allowed him to take his white out and white it out in our lives. And the enemy comes and he says, yeah, really, you know, you're just so-and-so from the other side of the tracks. You're Cliff Newberry, Harvey Newberry's son. We know all about you. Yeah, but I'm seated. I'm made alive together with him. And I'm seated in the heavens with him. Who defines me now? He does. I'm alive to be alive. I'm alive to be alive. You know, dead is dead. Alive is alive. Can you say that alive is alive. Yeah, alive is alive. You are alive. Even while you sleep, you are alive. Jesus said, even though you die, yet shall you live. Mary said, Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this, Mary? He's saying, I'm both death and resurrection. I've taken the whole thing on. And I brought it all up from the grave. And it goes on to say that it was an act of God. An act of God. Not our own doing. Not a result of works. No room to boast. And it goes on to say, we are his masterpiece in verse 10. We are his masterpiece. Meaning he saved us on purpose for a purpose. Verse 7 says because in the coming ages he's going to show what this thing actually looks like. He's going to show what the riches of his grace looks like on the dead that are being made alive. He's going to show his kindness of his grace and what it looks like on us. See right now we're in the world to expose Jesus. But one day Jesus is going to expose us. He's going to expose us. And I'm gonna tell you when it happens, the whole world is gonna bow and say in their tongue, He is Lord of all. Every tongue will confess that He is Lord. One day you're gonna be revealed. An obscurity now. Be happy with a little obscurity. But I tell you what, it doesn't last. Doesn't last, Pastor Michael. It's not gonna last. He's going to expose us one day. And Paul said, I am convinced that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed in us. You are his masterpiece. Let me tell you a story. We love stories, right? So I before my father died, he gave me his violin. He was a fiddler. He fiddled around with the fiddle. And he would play these Newfie jigs and reels. And so I got this violin and we're driving across Canada and I'm telling my wife this is, a, this is a good violin, this has got value. She said, well, it's a violin, it's probably not that great. And I, I know enough that my father told me there's something about this violin. And so she says, well, how much do you pay for it? I I think maybe around $300 or something. But he bought it a long time ago. Ah, So we get back home. We drive to Edmonton, and I take it to PT Tan Music Store, and I get it appraised. And the violin, he says, right now is over $5,000 value. He said the bow that the wood is made out of is extinct, so it's only going to go up in value. And so he takes the violin. It was in a ratty old case. The other part of the story is he wouldn't let me leave the store after without buying a new case He didn't know me. I gave him post-dated checks. I don't have money. He said, you're not leaving my store with that violin in that old case. And he took the keys and he tightened up the strings. And he touched them and he tightened them and he touched them and he tightened them. He put it to his shoulder and he began to play. I had never heard that violin like that before. I tell you something inside of me when I heard the music in that little instrument begin to resound and come out of it. I didn't know the music was in it. And he, with the master touch, showed me it was a masterpiece. Something inside of me percolated up, and I got a knot. I couldn't talk. I couldn't say anything. My wife was there looking at me, and I'm wanting to say, but I can't say, I told you. (laughs) Your is masterpiece. And he wants to take his bow, and he wants to place it on the string of who you are. And begin to play. Will you let them play? Every instrument that they played on this stage this morning was designed with a purpose. You're saved on purpose for a purpose. When we divorce purpose from design, we do a great injustice. You know the sad part about my violin story? I can't play the sucker. It sits in a case up on a loft. get your guy, maybe he can play it, make me cry again. You're his masterpiece. He loves you. He's bestowed that love on you. He didn't ask you. He just did it out of the sheer kindness of who he is. And he says, one day, I'm going to show the whole universe what I've done. But in the meantime, we can embrace it. made alive with Christ means that we'll not be the same. means that we'll embrace our purpose and our purpose is not just our career. If we reduce our purpose to just our career we have narrowed it down so far we've lost sight of the incredible beauty of it. The purpose is that we have been raised up, seated with him and when you're seated with a king you start thinking like a king, you start acting like a king you start speaking like a king. You start believing like a king. It's a journey. But that's what we're embracing. And the more we embrace that, I, I'm convinced that, the, that in bringing the kingdom of God to the world, this is the key elements to doing it, is to know that God loves you. He's made you alive. He's seated you with Him in the heavenlies. And when we get in a place of deep intimacy with Him, wow, the music will begin to play. People will begin to dance, and the kingdom of God will come in all its beauty. I'm moving along because my time, I got five minutes, Pastor Ben. How am I doing? You pleased with me? You proud of me, Pastor Ben? I want to make you proud. Let me give you an illustration. The really good actors are the people who are able to get into the character that they're acting to the point that you think they're actually that person. That's what makes a movie. That's what draws you into a movie. When a poor actor is doing the job, you're not drawn into the movie. You get drawn in because the actor is so good at portraying the character that they become indistinguishable from the character they're portraying. 2 Thessalonians chapter two thirteen says that God's word and God's spirit work in us and performs in us to the point that as it happens, my character and his character becomes indistinguishable. Isn't that good? What? All more reason to embrace him and hold on to him like Jacob and say, unless you bless me, I won't let you go. Here I am. I'm not going anywhere else. I need to know this in the very depths of my being, that you love me, that I'm made alive with you, and I'm seated with you in the heavenlies. So we have a top-down view, not a bottom-up view of our lives. Wow. You see, the more you become like Christ, the more you become you. It really is. Christ is not going to diminish who you are. He's going to increase who you are. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made and my soul already knows this. How do I get this lined up with where my soul is at so that my soul can embrace the outside story that's going on on the inside? And when we do that, we become more of who we are. Because he goes on to say, and we're coming to a close, if you can believe it. He saves us individually, but we're reconciled to God in one body. Paul uses the phrase, As a new person, a new race, a new humanity. We can't attain to this on our own. For me to attain this, it would be like a tributary trying to contain the ocean. We do it together. See, there's a, there's a lie going around That you can do this all on your own. You don't need the church. It says that Moses left the pleasures of Egypt to endure the pain of being with God's people. I'll tell you, it's painful to be together sometimes. I mean, there's lots of good moments, like on a Sunday morning when we're all celebrating, we're singing the songs and we're dancing, but sometimes it's not like that. Let's be honest. Sometimes it's messy. But I'm committed. I need you and you need me and I can't do this and if the glory of God is going to be seen and here's another lie we say that God won't share his glory with another that just simply means that God won't share his glory with any other than us you see we are the glory of God we are the glory of God he's hidden he, he's going into obscurity and we're, we're going to be the glory of God the world is going to see it. We're going to be the glory of God. We're going to be the glory of the universe. We're going to shine like the stars. We're going to be the brightest thing in the whole universe. Why? Because the glory of God is on us. Because why? Because he's the father of glory. He's the father of glory. He's my glory. The scripture says that I am to the praise of his glory. Whoa! Cliff Newberry from the other side of the tracks. Nothing but a Loser but I'm to the praise of his glory. You're to the praise of his glory. He has lavished his love upon you out of the kindness of his heart, and you're to the praise of his glory. You reflect his glory. You see, the moon has no glory of its own. It reflects the glory of the sun. That's you and me. We have none of our own, but we're going to reflect his glory. I'm already reflecting his glory. You're already reflecting his glory. I want to reflect it more. As I get older, I want to reflect it more. I don't want to die this old guy who's, you know, I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I don't like that sound, and it's sitting in my chair all grumpy. No. I want to reflect his glory. I want to be current and fresh with him. Amen. Yes. Yes. Yes together with Christ that he's the cornerstone let me close with this when you go down to the inner city of Calgary there's some pretty nice buildings down there and you don't go looking for the cornerstone in the building, you don't park your car and go I gotta find the cornerstone see this is the incredible thing that Christ has done, he's the apex apex and he becomes the chief cornerstone, he takes the bottom rung. he says I'm among you to serve I'm here to wash your feet I'm here to love you and build you up into a dwelling place for my spirit. That when you look at the building, you see the glory of God. And it's all tied to the cornerstone. Because the cornerstone is not there. The building's all out of whack. The angles aren't right. There's no beauty in the building. But the cornerstone, he's the cornerstone. But you're the glory of that cornerstone. Amen. And as I yes. Twelve thirty. As I close this, I just want to put an advertisement in. June eleventh, Terry and Melissa Bowman are gonna be here about emotional health. This is one of the ways you can embrace that God loves you, that you're raised up and seated with him, is to come and get healing in your emotions and let God transform you into the t- Purpose He has for your life. Amen. Pastor Beck, where'd he go?